Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. production. What a nice chair you have. Why, thank you. And, oh, a, dream, and a dream catcher. I didn't set up my mic. I know you our- told me you were going to have a big mic and I don't see the big mic. Oh, well. we, cha- we changed our times and I forgot. I Sorry. know. Well, oh, well, it's nice to know that you have an opportunity to use your big mic. <laughs> I know. You look great. Oh, thanks. I'm rested. <laughs> I'm not, but I just showered. So I feel, I actually feel pretty good. Total good way to refresh. Total post burst. Total post birth jazz. <laughs> oh, getting well. tired. You're getting tired. Yeah, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to get me through this podcast, it's which okay. will be will be easy because we have lots of cool things to talk about today. Um, Tell me about the birth that happened this morning. I'm so curious. Well, before I do that, I want okay. to express gratitude to our mutual friends in Sedona. Arizona, because I just got back two days ago from the Reteach Breach Seminar, two days in, in fabulous Sedona, Arizona, fabulously hot. Yeah, Sedona, July Arizona. in Sedona. <laughs> yeah, it was about 104 every day, but that had nothing on needles. California driving back, it was 119 Woo! in needles. Uh, but anyway, I didn't spend any time in needles. I waved goodbye, hello, and Ta-ta. See you <laughs> needles. later, needles. But I, I had a fabulous time in uh, Sedona, and uh, I chose that word because our host is Fabiola, and <laughs> she has a remarkable facility there. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's a house and a center and a retreat and with a view and with wonderful people, the midwives of Arizona and one from uh, Tennessee were great i think there were 15 16 17 people which is a perfect number nice and uh sedona birth and women's health was the sponsor i think that's fabiola's thing i just i just i love it it was it was teaching and tequila and trekking and i can't think of any more alliterations but that it was really nice and i want to thank uh all the midwives that were there, but there were some people that were really special, and that's Valerie and Cassie and Ashley from Chattanooga. Nice. Uh, they made my uh, stay great. We went out for dinner. We talked. Some of the other people obviously stayed in the retreat center, so they were hanging around, and it was just it was just a marvelous time. And I can't tell you how much fun I'm having doing these reteach breach. Things they're so well received. They're so they're so needed. Obviously, yeah. Um, yeah. Midwives are so curious about it, and Arizona is one of those states where midwives can do breaches. Awesome. So I really think that the uh, seminar will have a good effect on uh, the women of Arizona because they'll now have at least fifteen more people who know what they're doing. Love it, and you know, it's not that far from from California. If someone you know needed to go somewhere have a breech baby vaginally they could go to her retreat center in arizona and yeah if you live in needles it's not a far drive 
And, um, and you'll you cool go, down, and, and you'll cool down on the drive down up to uh, Sedona from needles. Did, did you go to the birthing cave? No, it was too hot. Um, yeah. They were going to do a hike at four thirty in the afternoon, and I had had already a, a busy day um, out touring uh, with my friend Pamela, and and we got back, and I was just uh, you know dried out. We went up to that uh, church in the, that's built into the rock up there, and it was just and quite hot. Right. Oh, is that Frank Lloyd Wright's design? Yes. yes. Did did he design the Jesus inside too? I don't know about that part. It's it's definitely more religious than than he normally is, but I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah. that's Frank Lloyd Wright. You know, I could I could see that definitely now that you say it. That it's yeah. very it was very cool. I mean, that's the only thing that was cool. But <laughs> um, I had so no, we didn't team. go, and then and then the rest of the team just canceled because I think, well. I think they said they canceled because I wasn't going, but on the hike, but I think they canceled because it was too hot. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful there. I really enjoyed my stay. It would have been more fun to be there with you, but I wasn't going to go in July. I just tell you that much. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it was great. So you want to know about uh, this morning's birth. We we Um, delayed our podcast uh, by six hours because I was at a birth this morning. And not, and I've just been following this woman's story because it was insane. Hello, I didn't go to a birth and I can't talk. my disease. (laughs) I did catch your disease in Santa Barbara. um, She had hoped that I would be able to come and I had already planned a trip to be away. So I'm so happy that, yeah. Yeah, so I'll tell you the story, but it's interesting because uh, Dr. Flores was on call until about eight o'clock last night. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> I know. And then I got back. I got back from uh, Sedona. I went down to San Diego to see my daughter and mm-hmm. uh, spend a night down there. And then I came back up and I got up here around, I don't know, four thirty, five o'clock and I got some stuff done. And then Vic signed out to me and uh, like five hours, six hours later, <laughs> I'm at a birth. So uh, but let me tell the story because baby waited for you, Stu. That's what she said. But I don't think that that's any slight on Victoria or anything else. I mean, I just think that that's just a nice thing to say. Yeah. Um, we had a we had n- nearly a full moon yesterday, so that was kind of interesting. Driving at three thirty in the morning and this beautiful moon until I hit the fog of the coast uh, in Ventura. The fog rolled in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting because Victoria was out of town, and you were out of town. And Beth was out of town. Wow. And I was out of town and I came back just to cover Victoria. And so um, I called a couple of midwives in Ventura. Neither one was available. So last night, last evening, about eight o'clock, I called Alex. Nice. Our pal. Yeah. And she said one word to me. Yes. Or sure. She said yes. (laughs) When I asked her, she didn't even question it. Then I sent her the the story and Uh there was no, she didn't. She didn't even bat an eyelash. Yeah. Uh, the story is this, and you know it as well as I, but um, we had a woman who had uh, has a bicornate uterus. This was her fourth pregnancy. Her first three pregnancies were all breech. They were all scheduled cesarean sections. Correct me if I'm wrong. All right. You looked at me like I wasn't. No, no, no. I don't know her story that deeply. You'll know. Oh, okay. Than yeah. Mm-hmm. So she had, a, she had a C-section for her first breech. And of course, then she had two reasons to have a repeat C-section. 
she already had a C-section and her second baby was breached. And then mm -hmm. she had three reasons to have a third C-section. <laughs> so she had three C-sections. But if this is a story, and I have one other one that I'll tell just after this, because it's an old story about another VBAC after three C-section um, uh, story. But it, it's, it's, it emphasizes the importance that women place on how they give birth. Mm -hmm. And for those people that think it doesn't matter, that all that's necessary is a baby in the bassinet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they're they're missing everything. They don't know anything, and uh, you know I use that term a lot. That they don't know anything, and they don't. They don't know. They're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, they're they're obtuse. Probably is more than stupid because these people all have medical degrees, and you can't really be stupid if you have a medical degree i don't know i'm encouraging going. you to get one but you i you slap that down right away i told you i told you just a little while ago that i had seven new inquiries today so far amazing and um you said that's great and i said it's like well go to medical school because we need more of uh we need more people in, in this state or everybody who's pregnant should move to arizona yeah or yeah. tennessee because in Tennessee, they could do breaches in Tennessee as well. And what did I say about going to medical school? Uh, was it an expletive? I don't remember. Hell just, no. Oh, yeah. Hell so no. it wasn't. It was sort of an expletive. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> Hell no is right. That's right. Um, so anyway, so she's so she's biconial uterus, three previous C-sections, uh, another breach, sometimes frank, sometimes complete, um, really wanted to have a vaginal delivery obviously yeah. we're the only option uh around and um made it was at 41 weeks in two days well mm -hmm. 41 weeks in one day when she went into labor last night around 11 o'clock and um we got a call that things that by from her doula that things had picked up by about 3 3 30 in the morning so it was hard to tell because she was contracting every three minutes but there was no bloody show and she was sort of still handling them well. And it's hard to know what to do. And, and again, I only met her once or twice. I'd never done a home visit. I'd never been to her house because I've been away and, and, uh, and I'm just covering. Yeah. And, but I had the good fortune of having at least known her and met her at a couple of the prenatal visits over her, her pregnancy. And she was referred from up from Santa Barbara from uh, our friend, Dr. Drake, who couldn't, couldn't, uh, well, she's not working anymore, but she couldn't even offer a VBAC after three and certainly not a breach. Mm -hmm. uh, so then we um, we decided I called Alex and was wondering maybe I should go because I didn't really want to bother Alex. But I said, made the decision, I think you should go. And so we all left. We we're all about 45 to 50 minutes away. Daisy was a little farther away, our assistant. And Anastasia was coming down from Santa Barbara and she was almost there. And her what's that? Her doula. That's her doula. Mm -hmm. Right. And about five minutes after I hung up with Alex, um, convincing us both that she should go, I got a text from uh, Anastasia that she broke her, the mom broke her water. So when a, with a breach and they break their water, you know, that's an interesting thing. So I said, is there any meconium? And she sent me a picture of a pile of thick tar toothpaste <laughs> meconium. And I said, yes, that's a really good sign. That's a really, really good sign. And it is. And for those people who don't know breach, uh, who think meconium is a four-letter word, um, it's not. And it's normal in breaches, and it's actually a sign of descent. 
as the baby comes down, it gets squeezed in like a tube of toothpaste is the best analogy I can come up with. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got there all about four o'clock in the morning. Wait, no, about four, 445 in the morning. Took about an hour to get there. And she was huffing and puffing pretty good. Uh, so I, they, you know, we decided we would do a vaginal exam to, to see what were going on. And so I do a vaginal exam and, and she's six centimeters and completely dilated. I mean, completely effaced and zero station. And what do I feel? But of course, a couple of beautiful little feet down there. So, but I can also feel the butt. So that is not a foot link breach. Right. That is a complete breach. Mm-hmm. And that's perfectly fine. The heart, heart tones were fine. They were pretty much fine the whole time. There was one little decel once the baby didn't like mom being on her right side. So um, we just turned her over. And later on, she was making these really grunting sounds a couple hours later that you could hear the changing in the tone of her voice. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to get in the water. So she got in the water and the sounds got more guttural and deeper. And uh, so suddenly she says, uh, or somebody says, you know, there's there's something uh, sticking out. <laughs> and, sure, and sure enough, there's a little foot sticking out. So, oh, I love the little feet. Yeah, it was out. a little foot. We got great pictures of the little foot, and then it became a little ankle, and then a little calf, and then the other foot made an appearance. And <laughs> and then uh, shortly thereafter, she she pushed and uh, got to the umbilicus fairly quickly, and the baby initially had good tone, but she wouldn't get. I mean, she wanted to deliver. Her birth plan was to deliver on all fours in the water. Those of you who attended the uh, Sedona re- birth ret- uh, re- reteach breach retreat know that uh, I'm not a big fan of primate breach water births, and she is a functional primate. So, mm-hmm. because you know, part of the being on all fours is having gravity to your advantage. Plus, it's easier to assess the baby tone and the, things like that when they're in the water. They're just sort of floating around. You can't really tell if they've got good tone or or mm-hmm. bad tone. So I did check capillary filling one time and it was good. And uh, Alex tried to get heart tone several times, couldn't find him anymore because it was just hard with mom on all fours in the water, but the baby was out, had capillary filling. So I knew it was fine. And then, you know, she got the umbilicus and pushed to the, a little bit further. And then, then the baby really lost tone Mm -hmm. and the umbilical cord, which had been robust, began to look a little bit less robust. Mm -hmm. So um, I helped the baby out. The baby rotated perfectly. It was with the arms in front and rotated tum to bum, um, just as it's supposed to. So it was very, fairly easy delivery. The only problem, of course, when I tried to do the shoulder press is mom slides across the swimming pool. <laughs> so it's a little hard to do that in the water, but it, but it didn't, it didn't take long. And the baby came out and was a little bit floppy, but Alex is really good with, newborns. And I said, do you want to give the baby a couple rescue breaths? And she said, no, it's breathing. It's okay. And it came around, it had APGARs of four and eight and then nine. And uh, yeah, so it had, and and baby did great. And the baby was adorable and cute. And its little foot was black and blue, uh, which is what you'd expect. Just like if it had been the head, it would have caput or been the bum. So the foot took the, you know, took the brunt of it. Uh, but the baby was fine and the exam was fine and mom was fine. Oh, and mom delivered with no tears. Beautiful. Right. Can't be done. Three previous C-sections breach by coordinate uterus can't be done. And uh, she had some skid marks, but no tears. Love it. 
And uh, um, I have a I have a quick question to interrupt you with because I don't want you to get too far into the story. So just well, so I'm pretty I can, far, I'm pretty far into the story. <laughs> just so I can Baby's visualize, um, when you say Alex is really good with a baby when she wasn't giving breasts or what we would expect, what tell us what that means? What did Alex do with the baby? Uh, she just talked to the baby and looked at the baby and told the mom to tell the baby it's all fine. <laughs> all the beautiful things that, you know, Alex does. You yeah. Know Alex. Connection. Yeah. And, yeah. um, Thanks. you know, they, they, they did, a, they did some, uh, obviously some back rubbing on the baby, some, you know, stimulation, but the baby came around, did fine. And, Great. Uh, beautiful. yeah, Alex just has a way she, she's, she's got a seventh sense. Yeah. Uh, beyond a sixth sense. Uh, <laughs> he does. And she, knew that she, you know, she told me last night after I called her and asked her if she'd help me, mm-hmm. we had no inkling that she was going to go into, she said, I just, I didn't even go to bed. I just knew that your client was going to go into labor. <laughs> I just great. knew. I, so she just has this thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was great. And, oh, and there were, she's got three other children. One was a little boy, but the other two are, are, are teenage children and they were in the room. And her husband was there and her best friend Ingrid was there and, and all, you know, there were probably uh, seven or eight people in the room. And of course, Michelle O'Donnell would have, you know, have a feast with that one. Whatever. But, uh, that's what she wanted. That was her tribe. And that's who yeah. she needed to have there. Yeah. And she did it. And it didn't seem to interrupt her labor. It progressed just fine. Yeah. Yeah. About Good eight hours. Her. About eight I'm hours. I'm so happy for her. Yeah. yeah. It awesome. Was, it was terrific. Um. And I want to thank, I want to personally just thank Alex and, and Daisy and Anastasia uh, for their support, plus all the friends and family that were there as well. So yeah. it, that's, a, you know, it's triumphant. I, I was totally jazzed. I was texting with friends of mine um, about this because I, I needed to share it with some people. And, uh, you know, I think I texted you and I think I sent you, I might have even sent you a picture. I know that we texted no. doc, Dr. Drake. Oh, I didn't send you a picture. No. Well, I will. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was, okay. but you know, you have a birth like that and you feel like this is why we do what we do. This woman wanted to have a vaginal delivery and you know what? She, she could have had four vaginal deliveries. Yeah. And she ended up with three C-sections because nobody wanted to support her. Yeah. It's stupid. Right. <laughs> I said it twice today. Right. <laughs> well, about the same topic, though, about the same people. So you're consistent. <laughs> I'm consistent. Um, so I'm still in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, I've been uh, here spending time with my with my boys and my friend, Piper, who's amazing. Um, I have my little nest here in Sacramento. It's so lovely. And I'm starting to think about going back to Santa Barbara. I go back on call um, at the first week in August. And um so I'm kind of like in my mind thinking about like, what's my living situation when I get back to Santa Barbara? Cause I've been living on hope and bu- bumping around, bouncing around, and I'm getting a little weary of the bouncing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, at first I was like, oh, I'm just going to let things ride and see how, you know, what the universe has in store for me. I'm not going to worry about it too much. And then on Monday, couple days ago, I was like, okay, I need to put out some feelers and maybe like put up some posts and ask people for some support. And two places came through, Stu, 
two on the same day, I got, I got messages from people out of the blue. Um, and one of them is a fellow traveler and she listens to the podcast and she lives in Santa Barbara. She's originally from Chicago. And she said, Hey, I've got this great spot. Uh, we're going to be going back to Chicago, but we want to sublease it if you're interested. And so kind of fun that our, our fellow travelers, um, are looking out for us and helping us in these kinds of ways. It makes me really happy. So, yeah, um, it does. It makes me really happy too. And I really think that our reach is growing because woo-hoo. everywhere I go now, uh, I'm like Dr. Stu, everybody knows who you and I are. It's I just, love it. Yeah. I love it. I, love yeah. it. I mean, I, you know, whatever, whatever the people know who I am, but I love that more people are, are, you know, getting what we committed when I left LA. This is when we, we made our like commitment and rebranded and everything where we said, you know, we wanted to really touch as many people as we possibly could. And, and it just makes me happy that it's happening, you know, that all the effort and time that we put into, you know, doing this podcast is making an impact. And I hope it continues to just grow and grow and grow. Speaking of that, I don't know if you wanted to talk about it or not. What, what, what we have a little contest going on. Will it be over by the time this podcast comes out? Yes. Okay. So then we'll listen. We don't, we won't talk. <laughs> then there's no reason to talk about it. Okay. Okay. Yes, it will. Um, um, and so I thought I would, um, do you, do you want to get into topics and then I'll share about my client's story or do you want me to share? Well, I have share? another, I have another be back after three C-section. Oh, that's right. Yes. Story that I want to talk about. Then I have a tie-in from uh, Instagram, uh, Breach Baby Stories on Instagram. So I'll do that. But before we probably do that, we probably should talk about one of our sponsors. And I have here your water bottle from Element. <laughs> and you're going to love what it says, except it'd be backwards for you. So tell me what it says. <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't have my glasses on. Hold on one sec. It's pretty big letters. Uh, salty AF. <laughs> and you if know you don't mean. know what that means, look it up. <laughs> yeah, you could say it on the podcast if you want. To. Salty as fuck, yeah. and it's oh, true. Oh it God, she said it on the podcast. Oh my God, we're gonna get. <laughs> I'm gonna get a bunch of emails from people who say we got to clean it up. <gasps> anyway, so Element no Element is a tasty electrolyte drink. They've been a sponsor of ours for a long time. They've got everything you need and nothing you don't. It means a lot of salt and no sugar. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs, including our clients, pregnant women. Pregnant men, <laughs> uh, partners, uh, people that are birth workers, and it has all that good stuff and none of the. Yes, just yes, like it that. comes. It comes in a bunch of flavors. Yours is favorite is mango chili, and I think everybody on the podcast knows that now. And uh, I like the raspberry salt, but there's also grapefruit salt, watermelon salt, citrus salt, orange salt, and lemon habanero, which I like saying. Almost as much as I like saying bamboobies, but not quite as much. And chocolate salt. <laughs> oh, and raw, unflavored. Raw, unflavored for those of us who don't want color in our drink. But they're not colored anyway, because even the raspberry salt is white, clear. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't have the um, flavor to it. It's just the goodness. That's right. So do you have anything else you want to say, or should I just give the uh, code? No, you did great. Just give the code. I'm rattling. On, I'm on a roll. Because I'm so, I'm so overly tired that I'm I don't even know what's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> You're doing but, great. Uh, You're doing go to, great. go help support our sponsor. Go to Drink Element. That's drinklmnt.com and use the code word Birthing Instincts. You'll get a free sample pack with anything that you order. 
Thanks very much, Element. Thank you very much. And when you get your sample pack, I want you guys to tag me on Instagram and put the hashtag salty AF because it'll make me laugh. Right. Okay. So salty do that. AF. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our, our radio listeners cannot see the water <laughs> bottle that says salty <laughs> AF on it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll put a post on Instagram with the water bottle, just the water Perfect. bottle. <laughs> After your nap. Okay. So back in time, we're going back about, I don't know, seven or eight years when the sanctuary was still open. So when did the say, was I at this birth? I don't think you were at this birth, but it was at your place. It was at your place. Okay. Okay. Um, When did the sanctuary close? 2015. Okay. So it was probably just before that. So 2014, 2015. Mm -hmm. This is a woman um, from Ghana. I was there. Oh, you were there too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you were there. All right. So let me, so she wrote a testimonial, which is on my website, but I thought in light of this be back after three that we had this morning, I think it makes sense to, to tie this into it. So she says, my first child was born via C-section in Ghana. The doctor claimed my baby was breached. And so we had to perform a C-section because my baby's life and mine were in danger. That to this day is still questionable to me. Mm. <laughs> life and mind. That's interesting. Yeah. When I moved to California, I got pregnant with my second child. I really wanted to have him naturally, but my doctor in Oxnard told me that it was illegal in the United (laughs) States to have a vaginal birth after cesarean. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I used to work in that community and I 100% believe that she's telling the truth. Yeah. Um, Once again, I was naive and believed my doctor. I had a C-section at 37 weeks. Why? I don't know. And my baby had a heart murmur. And so he was in the NICU for a week. So she had an unnecessary C-section, but nobody's doing unnecessary C-sections, by the way. Mm. Right. Half of all C-sections are unnecessary, but nobody is doing them. So (laughs) anyway, pregnancy number three came and gave birth to my little girl through a repeat Mm C-section. I was very disappointed because my little girl was ready to come out. And my doctor said, if it had been outside the United States, he would have made me deliver naturally. Hmm. Huh. I, I love it when Bliss has like vocalizations, <laughs> like whoa, or huh, or it's great. I just, I, I love it. I found out that it was not true after my third C-section and I refused to go under the knife again when I got pregnant with baby number four. Hmm. Most hospitals in the U.S. have banned the procedure without scientific justification. I had already had a C-section before moving to California. I was misinformed by my previous obstetrician that all my subsequent deliveries would have to be by C-section. Through perseverance, I found the sanctuary and Dr. Fishbein, who was willing to give me a chance to have my baby naturally, since in my culture, it was very important that a woman delivers naturally. Mm-hmm. Some even consider the woman cursed if she's not able to deliver naturally. Dr. Fishbein was willing to help me have a VBAC after three straight C-sections. He welcomed my husband and I with open arms. All my prenatal visits, again, this is a testimonial, so it is a little bit glowing, but, but you get the point. All my prenatal visits did last less than, didn't last less than 45 minutes. That was when, remember, remember what I used to say? I don't, yes. How do you guys fill an hour? <laughs> yes. fill an hour. Um, <laughs> he was very patient and kind throughout the whole nine months journey he took with us. On August 22nd, oh, this is 2012, so 2012 which was my due date, baby, uh, came with no baby. 
they didn't discourage me from waiting. They were actually patient with me. Dr. Fishbein recommended for me to see an acupuncturist to help induce labor since I was overdue for about a week, which I did for three days. <laughs> False labor started on Thursday, but when my husband called Dr. Fishbein and suggested I wait until my contractions are more regular before we head out to the birthing center. I went to see him in his office on Friday morning, he examined me and assured me that my baby was fine, but he is just not ready. The next day was Saturday, and, and he and uh, midwife Robin uh, came out to Oxnard to, to my house to see how I was doing. So, man, I gave really good service back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was probably nervous. So, you know, it's 2012. I'd only been doing home birth for two years. Yeah. Be back after three. She wasn't breached, however. So that may, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done in 2012 in that scenario. I probably would have let her go, but I can't say for sure. Active labor started on Sunday, even though through the early hours of Monday, um, my husband and I drove to Oxnard to, from Oxnard to West Los Angeles because calling an ambulance to transport me would not have been an option because they would not have taken me anywhere but the closest hospital. Um, on Labor Day of September 3rd of 2012, in the morning between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m., my contractions became only two minutes apart. We took the Pacific Coast Highway and an inhumane police officer stopped us for speeding and gave my husband a ticket, even though I was in the, I was moaning in the back seat. Jeez. Uh, she says, we, she added, we fought the ticket in court and the judge dismissed the case. But can you believe that? No. So, no. no, there, this is a black Stupid. couple. This is a black couple in Malibu. I wonder, yeah. I just wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I, I won't say any more about that. Everybody else knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. At one in the morning. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Driving fast through Malibu. Okay. You know, we get it. All right. We arrived at the Sanctuary Birth Center at 5, 10 a.m. The team was there um, waiting for us. Baby Luke was born exactly 628. So an hour and 18 minutes after they got to the birth center, he weighed nine pounds, which was his her biggest baby. I had a little tear, but there was no need for stitches. All right. So that's what she says. Um, she she goes on and talks a little bit more about the, the um, evidence and the science behind it and how she feels like she was conned. But I will just make the point that how people give birth, whether it's something that they, they dearly want in their heart or something that's culturally something that's important, so important to them. Yeah. And I remember they had, they had a few of us over for a uh, traditional Ghanese dinner. Uh, a couple weeks later, and we they she just broke down and said how important this was to her because now she can hang out with the other women. Mm. It's a cruel culture, I guess, but so but nonetheless, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to, uh, you know, I've I've been um, harping on or or trying to highlight some of the language that we use. Um, and it wasn't you, she wrote it, but I want to just say it for the people who are listening. False labor. Is there any such thing as false labor, Stu? No. No. There's no such thing as false labor. Your it's body, doing the work. That's right. It's ripening the cervix. It's getting you ready. It's, you know, practicing the hormone surging. So we don't use that term false labor anymore. Uh, it's uh, warming up. And I, and I loved what she said is that you, you, you looked at the baby and said, everything was fine. Baby just wasn't ready. I loved that. 
Yeah, our list is getting long of words we can't say. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, hey, by the way, I told you, but I didn't tell the listeners, uh, I'm doing my CEUs. You have to do them in order to renew your license, which I'm becoming more and more disillusioned with renewing my license now that I know Marin Green and a few other midwives who have given up their licenses. And a bunch um, of Ari- and the Arizona midwives too. There's a lot of, yeah, several yeah. good unlicensed midwives there. But I'm not ready to take the leap because I'm in Santa Barbara, California. Um, but uh, so you have to do CEUs to renew. And so I was looking for something interesting. I didn't, I just didn't want to do anything just to do it. And someone suggested that I could do the Breach Without Borders online and get my CEUs. I was going to go in November to um, a convention, um, but I can't because I'm, I'm on call now. So um, it's been fun for me to see Rixa um, in action, doing her lectures about the statistics and the history and all of that. And um, because you've spoken so much about her, but I've never actually seen her or worked with her. Um, And it uh, one of uh, another midwife said that it's really interesting. I've learned so much from you. Obviously, I've attended probably a dozen or more breach deliveries with you. Um, and, uh, but she said, it's nice to get different perspectives of different providers. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm only a few hours in, so I'm excited to keep going, but I'm, I'm brushing up on those breach skills. And and when they let me deliver breach babies, I will be one of the first ones in line to do it. I'm hoping for that day to come soon. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm considering I'm considering practicing under religious exemption the way that uh, Brenda Capps used to here in California, but we'll see. We'll, well see what California, California needs a sea change, and you know I, you're the you're the one to do it. By the way, I did speak to a, a reporter yeah. in the Santa Barbara. Um, I gave her your name. <laughs> I know, and I gave and I and I and we had about a forty minute conversation. You told me I, you asked me if I recorded it. And I said no. I, I I know exactly what I say because I was right after the the. Um, the reteach breach. So I, 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 it's, I'm like, I'm like an autopilot. Um, she's only, she put two, she's going to put two quotes in and uh, we'll talk about that maybe next, next week. Okay. Um, she but she says she's going to do a more in-depth article coming up sooner. Okay. Uh, I mean, coming up later. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So a tie into these two stories was a post that was on breach baby stories, which is an Instagram uh, thing I follow. And this is a, a, a lady that's a gravity two pair one with a previous cesarean section. And she writes, in 2015, I found out we were expecting our second child. I researched endlessly to see what type of options I have after having a previous cesarean. I came across info on VBACs, vaginal birth after cesarean, and decided to hire midwives due to their stereotypical nature to be more natural minded. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but that could be something you could comment on in a minute. <laughs> Um, at 37 weeks pregnant, I found out that my baby was breech. At that point, I felt like all support from my midwives went out the window. I remember them printing off some papers about moxibustion and spinning babies and sending me on my way. No real discussion, no real informed consent. Mm. Unless my baby turned into a head down position, I was to have a repeat C-section and their care was to be handed over to an OB. I tried everything I could at the time to turn this baby, including a fairly risky, very uncomfortable procedure called an ECV, which was unsuccessful. I read that some babies can turn in labor, so I advocated against booking a repeat C-section and decided to wait to go into labor naturally and see if my baby would turn. I went into early labor at 39 weeks, but my midwives advised that I immediately go to the hospital. 
Feeling scared, defeated, and unsupported, I went to the hospital where I was confirmed in labor and prepped for my second C-section. Thankfully, I was prepared with a backup plan, so I was able to advocate for immediate skin-to-skin, delayed cord clamping, and for baby to stay with me until the procedure was complete and in recovery room. This C-section was much different from my first and, in my opinion, should be the standard of care. Mm -hmm. I agree with her. Yes. You have to have one. That's the way it should be. Yes. And although I did feel like I had a bit more control, I remember the words that my OB, you might be saying stupid a third time here. I remember the words that my OB said to me before he was going to stitch up my seven layers of the abdomen. Would you like me to tie your tubes? No. Well, just so you know, I won't ever be able to support you having a VBAC after two cesareans. She says, Lastly, where have the skill of delivering beach babies gone? If three to 4% of healthy babies are being unnecessarily delivered via cesarean section due to breach presentation and mothers are being told that they will never be able to have vaginal birth, why aren't there other options? Yeah, and the reason I laughed is not because that's a, necessarily a funny thing, but like that's the only provider, like I will never be able to do this, so therefore I should, I should tie your tubes. I mean, don't get me started. Well, I want to get you started. What is it? What is it about the ego of these people or the lack of self-awareness? Right. I can't believe that. How offensive. How offensive. That especially when you're just met your baby and you're in the middle of a surgery. Like, is that really the time to have that conversation with a woman? That's well, not something. It's better that, than talking about Lakers scores. Yes. But no, it's actually worse. It's actually worse. I'm sorry. I meant. It's worse than talking about Lakers scores, but which is also obnoxious as, as can ever be. Yes. But but what's wrong with these people? I, they're stupid. <laughs> there you go. I wanted you to say it. that's three. I'm keeping a stupid tab. <laughs> Let's get, stop saying stupid. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I don't I don't know, but that's why I'm in awe of the people that taking Rix's class, my class that want to learn this. And I'm really uh, uh, thrilled that Rixa does it a different way than me and is academic in some way, because I think that's going to give her a foot in the door to get into medicalized birth systems where I would love to get in there, but I don't really want, I'm not going to acquiesce to anything that they, you know, you know me, I'm not going yeah. to change the way I do things. So I, I wanted to add, by the way, that that I think I might've told this story before, but there was one time where David Hayes, Betty Ann Davis and I were, were just standing outside of Beth's place. They were doing a reteach, I mean, a birth without a uh, breach without borders thing there. Uh-huh. We were talking and, and all three of us deliver breaches differently. Yeah. And yet all three of us love each other and respect yeah. each other. And so, you know, there isn't only one way to do it. And I'm glad that you're, you know, people should take, Reach Without Borders, or at least look into that, because the more repetitions you get, the more visuals you get, the more you understand. I mean, you don't need to learn the history more than once, because everybody understands the the history, uh, and then the term breach trial was the culmination of all that. Yeah. Mishigash. Mishigash. That's another Yiddish word. It's a good word. Yes. Yes. All Yiddish words sound like what they mean. (laughs) (laughs) It's true most of the time. Hey, Stu, you just said, 
I know this is a it's a throwback from your from your more hospital days, but you just said you guys all deliver breech babies differently. Yeah. Yeah, but you're not delivering the babies. Okay. All right. That's another thing, <laughs> delivering. Yeah, my, Those my women are delivering the babies. That's great. We're we're yeah. all well, actually, no, 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 no. Because we're not talking about just doing nothing, catching them. The we're actually we're actually, these are the babies that need help. Yeah. So we are assisting their, yeah. de their delivery. We're restoring the yeah. mechanism, but finishing the delivery. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Busted. Hey, so interestingly enough, I just, I've been, Wednesdays is when I do my virtual days because you and I get on, on the phone. So I might as well just keep going. And I have a woman in care who had a C-section the first time for breach. And now is going to be doing uh, or attempting an HVAC at home with me. And this was only our second chat since uh, she came into care. And one of the things that she was feeling like she wanted to do an ultrasound early so that she could figure out where her placenta was, because she read a statistic that if you have an anterior placenta, there's a higher statistic or, or more breech babies have anterior placentas. And so she wanted to know where her placenta was. Is that true? Um, I've not heard that. It might be. I don't okay. know. And so uh, I said, I said, well, getting, figuring out where your placenta is going to be. Is that going to, she's 10 weeks. Is that going to make you more nervous or less nervous? And she said, that's a good question. And I went on to tell her that, you know, I've seen a lot of people with anterior placentas that did not have a breach presentation, um, but that what I thought might be helpful for, to her, regardless of whether she does this ultrasound or figures out where her placenta is, because what she said is at the last minute, I had to scramble to get care and um, you were out of town and there a, a bunch of people were out of town and she just didn't have a lot of options. And so she just wants to have a plan. And I said, well, that's what I think you should do is figure out if you do have a breech baby again, what would you want to do this time? Like, just make the plan like yeah. we do when we transport, figure it out for yourself so you don't feel rushed. And then, and then, um, you know, put it away and plan on having a beautiful delivery. But it came to mind when you were talking about how those midwives gave that woman absolutely no informed consent, because she and I went through a whole conversation today about all of the different options. She could have an ECV. She could not have an ECV. She could go to LA or San Diego with some of the providers that I know that do uh, help babies move in lots of different kinds of ways besides. <laughs> uh, I don't remember what the word some is. Some of the practitioners, you know. Thank you. Practice, practice, practice. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I gave her all this information about like what she could do that work was within her decision-making process. Um, and so it just kind of brought it to mind as you were sharing that story. Yeah. And that's because you're wise and that's because you have time and you're not doing volume and you care about what you're doing. And, uh, so do most of the people that I get to meet that are midwives. And then, and then we have the other, other obtuse stupid people who, who don't, who don't do that, who say, I won't allow you to do that. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, the other day I wanted to just talk the other day, you mentioned something to me about a client who had a miscarriage or was thought she might have a miscarriage needed to go to a hospital for an ultrasound. 
I just thought it was a fascinating story on many different fronts. And so I wanted you to maybe just share that with our listeners. Um, so this mom came into care very early. Um, I had a couple of, uh, women in Santa Barbara who, who hired me at like four or five weeks. We did their first visit, which, you know, I love to do that because I can give them a lot of guidance about nutrition and all kinds of stuff before, you know, when it can be helpful for them, but it is typically very early for someone to start care. Um, and, uh, she called me and said that she was having some bleeding. And as we know, just because you're having bleeding doesn't necessarily mean that you uh, are going to have a loss. You kind of just have to wait and see. So I always let them know that if they are feeling like they really want to go in and see if the heartbeat is there, they can go in and get an ultrasound, but they don't have to, they can just kind of sit on it for a little bit. Um, and so she did, she sat on it for a little bit. And then, um, a few days later, she decided she was ready to go in and, and see what exactly what was going on because she had had a previous, um, a previous miscarriage. And so she knew what to expect in terms of, um, passing tissues and, you know, what, what she would see. And she hadn't had any of that. So she went into the hospital and tested positive for COVID. Um, and so, uh, that became obviously like a, like a really important thing. She said they wouldn't even like, yeah. No, um, why, but can you explain why they tested her for COVID? Um, I think they test everybody for COVID when they come. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They test everyone. Is, she there, had is, no is, is there a charge for that? <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure there's a charge for that. Okay. Just wanted to make yeah. that clear woman yeah. with no symptoms other than bleeding and possible miscarriage mm -hmm. has to have a COVID test to be seen in the ER. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then she said they would call her on the phone in order to talk about like, uh, like the uh, insurance and stuff. They wouldn't come in the room. She said they were treating her like, you know, obviously she has the plague. So um, unfortunately they did confirm that, um, there was not a heartbeat. And so they sent her home, um, and told her what to expect. And, um, and she did have, uh, the remainder of, um, the products of conception, which I don't like using that term because it sounds so clinical. Um, but, um, the tissue and the, and the sack and all of that started yeah. to pass. Um, and I did get a chance to talk to her yesterday and she told me a beautiful story, but I thought it was, uh, really actually important to just mention that, you know, she could see the beginning of a baby, you know, she said she could see the, you know, the face and the head and the spine and a little, she, what she said was a tail and the tissues and her six-year-old daughter already knew that she was expecting. And so she was talking about what that was like to talk about that, um, that their baby is not, you know, they have a very good friend that's also in my care who was also had symptoms, like really bad symptoms of COVID and early in pregnancy. And so because they're friends and one of them is having a loss, um, you know, there was some exchange and conversations that were, I was having with the other mom about like reassuring her uh, about 
that everything was going okay with her pregnancy. But the daughter had said, you know, it seems so unfair that this other mom gets to keep her baby and we don't. And so they did this beautiful ritual and ceremony where they, you know, planted it under a plant and, um, you know, buried it under a plant and, and did some, some acknowledgement of the releasing of this baby and that they can come and visit this baby in this space. And it was just really beautiful. And I just kind of wanted to mention it because it is common that women have miscarriages, but it's still a really hard thing for a family to go through a lot of times and taking a moment to really honor um, the passing of that life and, and the loss that it is for the family is really sweet. Yeah. And, and, um, miscarriage rates are up obviously and, and COVID and COVID vaccine both, uh, potentially contribute to that. The other part of this story, which I think, uh, just briefly you told me was that here's an asymptomatic woman who came in for a miscarriage. They test positive for COVID. And they wanted to give her monoclonal antibody therapy. Didn't you tell me that? Yes, they did. She asked me about that. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, we know why. You wallet, say why? Wallet in pocket. Yeah. And you okay. said, why would they want to do that? I said, I guess because she's a higher, uh, you know, higher risk being pregnant. And you said, eh. Yeah, she's not sick. Yeah. You yeah, don't use something as, 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 by the way, I'm not sure that monoclonal antibodies are, are working that well against Omicron or Omicron variants anyway. And I, and, and they gotta be immensely expensive. And why would you give it to somebody who's not sick? Because, because she's pregnant, although she's not really pregnant anymore, is she? And, and they hadn't confirmed that yet. Oh, they, <laughs> they hadn't confirmed it yet. So my counseling to her was let's wait and see what's going on with the pregnancy before we make any decisions about COVID treatment. But even so, you don't treat people with something as powerful or as, as invasive as monoclonal antibodies in a young, healthy person just because they're pregnant. Right. I mean, that to me is something that's that's market their marketing department is running their emergency room. That's what I think is happening. Yeah. But that's my cynical side. And you know, I have four cynical sides. <laughs> <laughs> All sides of me are are cynical. Oh my God. Uh, okay. Well, thank you for sharing that because, uh, I, you know, the, the tender part, I didn't, you, we really didn't talk about that ceremony part. Yeah. But yeah. You know, when, when, from my experience, and again, I'm just me, but when somebody finds out they're pregnant, their whole life is, they're drawing their whole life out in front of them. You know, they've already got the, the, what school we're going to send them to, what, what, what bicycle we're going to buy them where we, you know, these, and, and this is like when they're five weeks before they even see a heartbeat, you just right. automatically, your whole life is you're thinking these things. So it's a loss. Right. Right. And you know, a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Stu. Um, there was a recent inquiry that, I mean, intake that I was doing and I was with my student. And so I think I was in like this teaching mode and not really like in the same mode that I am when I'm, when I'm really sitting with somebody. And so I was going through her past history and she had had, um, an abortion and I was like, oh yeah, I noticed that you, um, had this abortion and I didn't stop to, to ask. And so I, I made a note because she started sharing her story and it was very emotional for her. And I was like, 
I can't believe I missed that beat because if someone has a miscarriage or an abortion, when you're talking about it with them, don't forget to ask them if there's anything lingering for them emotionally or spiritually, because for many women, it's a, it's big. And so I, I made that mistake. I caught myself and I've really been more, more and more aware to like not step over that question um, and to really pause because for, for many women it is. And the reason I brought up the details today of that miscarriage is because unless you've had one or you're a midwife or an OB, you probably haven't had someone actually tell you a story like that. And I think that because it's such a common thing, I think it's important that the language is said so that we know that this is something that many of us experience and that it's something that we can talk about with one another. Well said. And you know what? I'm guilty of that too. I, I you know, I just put it down in history. How many, mis- you know, how many times you've been pregnant? Three, how many kids do you have? One. Okay, great. And I don't, yeah. I don't even think to ask details. The other one part of it is because I'm, you know, I, I don't want to stir, I don't want to necessarily stir things up, but there's got to be a nice way to ask. Is there anything you, you want to share? share? Is that what you said? Yeah. Is there yeah. anything you'd like to share with me spiritually okay. or emotionally about that experience? Well, it's going to be hard for me to transition from that into talking about bamboobies. But I guess we <laughs> but I guess we have to. So you I just did hear, it. Yeah. <laughs> but we do have to talk about bamboobies because they are one of our sponsors and they have been with us for quite a while. Gosh. And I need to hear you uh, say bamboobies. Bamboobies, bamboobies, bamboobies. Oh, there three, you go, Stu. Three you got times. Three, <laughs> three times. Tell, tell us what you love about bamboobies. Um, I love that they are, you know, committed to the comfort of mom and babies, of course, just like us. But they're also um, advocates for the environment and really try and make products that support that. So they use renewable sources like bamboo. That's where their name comes from, bamboobies. Um, And um, as they expanded their line, they added in a bunch of teas and salves and um, nursing bras, and all of them are um, conscious about the effects that they have on our environment. So I am a huge advocate for that. Yeah, and they have a great boutique where you can go and shop for things besides uh, the the bamboo bamboo products like you're talking about, the breast shields, the breast pads, um, the teas, the balms, all that other stuff. So yeah. if you if you want to help support the podcast, you go to bamboobies.com and use the code word instincts and you'll get 25% off of your purchase. That's again, bamboobies.com, code word instincts, 25% off your purchase. Thanks, bamboobies. Thanks, bamboobies. You know, we've got a little bit of time left. I, I, I think I have to get into this a little bit because it's still so important and we're still at that point of time where people are still considering maybe vaccinating their children, that sort of thing. So um, there's a story in the Epoch Times uh, called COVID vaccines increase menstrual irregularities thousandfold, fetal abnormalities hundredfold. Doctors from the, uh, who analyzed the VAERS system um, said, the VAERS system everybody knows is the vaccine adverse event reporting system. It's probably, it probably catches one to 5% of all vaccine adverse events. So if you, if there's a thousand people complaining of this, there's probably 10,000 to a hundred thousand people. So you have to keep that in mind, but 
this story starts out says new disturbing pharmacovigilance signals from bears surrounding the use of the COVID vaccines on women of reproductive age, which is our listening audience. Yeah. Prompted a group of doctors to call for a ban on the gene therapy COVID-19 vaccines. Over the past two weeks, Dr. James Thorpe, a maternal fetal medicine expert, painstakingly analyzed and verified. I'm not sure that painstaking is, that's a little, probably a little bit of hyperbole by the Epoch Times reporter there, because I'm not sure how painful it is to sit and, well, it might be to sit and analyze various data, but uh, the most recent vaccine to adverse event reporting system data related to COVID-19 vaccines and compared them to flu vaccine data. Okay. Which is fair. COVID-19 vaccines compared to the influenza vaccines are associated with increases in menstrual disorders, miscarriage, fetal chromosomal abnormalities, fetal cystic hygroma, which is a congenital anomaly of the baby's uh, nervous system, fetal malformations, fetal cardiac arrest, fetal cardiac arrhythmias, fetal cardiac disorders, fetal vascular malperfusion abnormalities, abnormal fetal surveillance testing, abnormal fetal growth patterns, placental thrombosis, and fetal death. Sounds like a menu you want to avoid, correct? Yes, very Abnormal, uh, Here are some from bears. Um, and all of these had a statistical significance of a p-value of rest less than 0. 0.0001, which it makes them statistically significant. Okay, so the list that you just read it was from the flu vaccine, and now you're going to tell us what's been no, reported for No, COVID. that was the COVID-19 vaccine when compared to the flu vaccine. Okay, got it. So okay. these are listed. These are the things that go along with from bears regarding the COVID vaccine. Okay. Abnormal uterine bleeding versus the flu vaccine is a thousandfold greater. I got it. Miscarriages are 50-fold greater. Uh, fetal cardiac arrest is 200-fold greater. Now, I want to remind, remind people, we're talking about small numbers. So 200 times a small number may still be a small number, but statistically, it's significant based on use, use of statistical calculation. So that is information that people probably should have yeah. before women of reproductive age go out and get another booster shot of the mRNA technology vaccines. Fetal growth abnormalities are 40-fold greater. Fetal placental thrombosis is 70-fold greater. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. All right. Um, the... Uh, Dr. Thorpe stressed that expectant mothers should avoid the experimental COVID vaccine and that their infants should not be injected with them. She's, he says, or somebody else said this, Jessica Rose, PhD, co-authored a VAERS analysis that was published and then withdrawn by the academic journal Elsevier, which Elsevier is the leading publisher of journals. Almost every journal you can think of probably is published by them. So here they put an article in and then they pulled it. You have to ask yourself why. I think I might've mentioned this on a previous podcast once about them. She told the Epoch Times that Thorpe's analysis aligns perfectly with hers. I do believe it is not only important, but necessary to pull these products from pregnant breastfeeding women and infants since there is no long-term safety data and the short-term data looks bad. Yeah. As for both Moderna and Pfizer's safety documents presented to, I don't know what that stands for, VRBPAC, pre-emergency youth authorization granting zero for four-year-olds, this applies. They both showed terrible risk. That, that didn't make a lot of sense. So forgive me for not understanding what that says. But I will tell you, if it's not good for women of reproductive age, it's probably not good for senior men or 
men of reproductive age or children or children who aren't yet of reproductive age. Christiane Northrup, fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, somebody we all know, right? Um, she says that having been on the front lines of the DES disaster as a young OBGYN back in the, you see, that would have been in the 70s, I think. Yeah. 60s and 70s, 80s. I am astounded that we are repeating the same kind of mistake, but on a far more devastating level. COVID-19 shots must be stopped immediately in all pregnant women before further damage is done to the next generation. Now, this may be seen as heresy by some. Yeah, I think it is. Well, too bad. They're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell people, because not everybody knows about the DES situation. Can you just briefly what sure. she's pointing to? Diethylstilbestrol was a drug that was used to in, in the 50s, I believe, uh, maybe 60s and even into the 70s to prevent uh, preterm labor. Mm -hmm. And what it did was it didn't really work very well, but it also in all female fetus, and, and not all, but in many of the female fetuses of these women, they developed uh, uh, abnormalities on their uterus and cervix in parts of their reproductive organs. And some of them went on to develop you know, cancers yeah. based on being exposed to this thing in utero. And people may remember just before DES, there was a drug that was also used to prevent preterm labor in England and other countries called thalidomide, which caused limb reduction defects. People yeah. thought that they were doing something good, but of course these things hadn't been tested properly. So this whole idea of giving these shots and ACOG supporting it to pregnant women without proper testing and saying that it was uh, safe in pregnancy before there was any data whatsoever, even fake data to say it was safe in pregnancy is not something new. This has been repeated over and over again in history. And people, we just don't understand history or we don't follow history or history is ignored or it's erased. You can go back on the internet sometimes and not find articles that were there a year or two or 10 years ago. They've been erased from the internet. So some people have archives. There's a thing, I forgot what it's called, what, what site it is. The Wayback, I think it's called the Wayback site or something like that from, uh, from uh, uh, Mr. Peabody and Simon, the cartoon, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the Wayback Machine. And because it, it keeps track of all things that were on the internet and even when they're deleted, they still have a record of them. So mm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. And, you know, it, it it just shows that, you know, we can't follow these recommendations blindly, um, that, you know, history has proven itself to, you know, when people say, I, I trust science and I trust doctors and, you know, you just look at this and you're like, literally we had babies come out missing their limbs because of a medication. So this does happen. And, um, we need to just, you know, be prudent and think about these things a little bit more critically because we, we won't know. And I've said this before, we won't know for a very long time, the effects that this is going to be having on, uh, future generations. We just don't know. Yeah. It was incumbent upon the COVID-19 vaccine manufacturers, the FDA, the CDC, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, and the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology to have demanded the safety data prior to pushing these dangerous vaccines in pregnancy. Yeah. So why would we trust any of these organizations ever again to tell us that? These institutions have violated, this is according to Dr. Thorpe, they have violated the golden rule of pregnancy that new substances be it, nutraceuticals, drugs, or vaccines 
have never been allowed in pregnancy until long-term outcome data are available. And we violated it and violated it and violated it. Somebody's getting really wealthy and there you have it. So what other reason could there possibly be? But please people do not vaccinate yourself in your reproductive ages unless there's some other reason that you find compelling and do not vaccinate your children. We, every time I say that, there's this pause. They said they think a podcast that came out two weeks ago, and we also had this pause because it's it's unbelievable to me. No, it's not unbelievable to me. That's not the right word. It's stupid. <laughs> I, I think the name of this podcast is going to have something to do with stupid. I think <laughs> it has um, to. Yeah, it has well, to. I don't. I don't tell people. I do not tell people not to vaccinate their children, uh, but I do want them to be informed. That's why I usually pause because I because I just don't you know, I believe that people need to make decisions, but I don't think it should be mandated. And I and I definitely feel a little sad. Well, I'm talking about this young vaccine. people being vaccinated. Yeah, I'm specifically talking about the uh, mRNA vaccine technology. And you should say that more clearly because you basically said, do not vaccinate your children. Well, let's, cl let's clarify that. Do not vaccinate your children. <laughs> yeah. No, with the COVID vaccine. There we oh, go. Stu, Stu. He's tired. He needs a nap. Well, Forgive speaking him. Of, speaking of that, the last thing I'll say was I listened to. Um, you did you really know. well for somebody who's sleepy, by the way. I'm very, like, I'm, I'm very impressed. I, well, thank you. I appreciate Again. that. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I do appreciate that. Well, I love doing this and I love seeing you. So that yeah, makes it yeah. easy. I listened to the down to birth podcast today uh -huh. and they had a local pediatrician on who I, I enjoy and, and respect very much. Joel Gator Warsh. Yeah. 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 Does Gator has really middle his middle name or is that his I nickname? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. All right. I'll have to ask him. I did text him to tell him that I heard him on the podcast today. I haven't heard back from him. But um, the title of the thing was Protecting Today's Children, and it was, on, it was one hour long. Mm -hmm. And they talked about toxins, and they talked about getting outside and not using Purell and getting in dirt and, and uh, letting, letting kids have low-grade fevers and not, all, you know, not and watching what you eat and eating organic and avoiding all the things that you can avoid. And it was very informative. But for me, if you're if it's talking about protecting today's children, there was an 800 pound gorilla on the coffee table that was not spoken about on this podcast. And we know what that is. And that was the word vaccine didn't come up in the podcast. And I don't know how you can talk about toxins in the environment, in the air, in the dirt, in the in the food and that sort of thing and not. And then he, he talked about the, the rise in chronic illness that, that okay, over 50 percent of children now have some chronic illness or autoimmune disorder. And again, to not mention that. Now, maybe that was purposeful on their part because they didn't want to get banned from something. And it's controversial. So sometimes people just don't touch it. Those are the things that need to be touched, though. I know that's why you're you. And that's, that's why, why you. and that's why you love me. It is why I love <laughs> you. It's true. Yes. I can say, agree to that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, so I'm, I'm on call for Dr. Flores for another seven days. Okay. I, I was on call for seven hours. And had birth, so. How many babies are in the window, Stu, right now? Two. There's two, but I'm going to meet someone tomorrow who's breached, who's already at term. 
uh-huh. who had a failed version uh, at some other institution and wants potentially me to try again or potentially to come on board with for a breech birth. So there could be that one on board. Um, okay. It's kind of fun to be on again, but it's kind of not. So it's uh, it's limited so you can enjoy it because it's not very long. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Because I know that the that I get to July 20th and then I'm not on call anymore. And the next day is my birthday. So that's kind Yay. of cool. And I'm celebrating my birthday with a good friend of mine. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. And then I'm going to hope to see my kids on the weekend. And uh, because birthdays only come around once a year. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I'm not that far in Santa Barbara. You can come up and see me. Okay. We, we, uh, we might actually, cause we, we might take a trip up the coast because we want beach. We want, we want ocean. Okay. Right. So anyway, um, good seeing you, uh, you for everybody, for everybody that's been listening. Um, I will just say in the, in the reverse order, good middle of the night, good evening, good morning and, or good afternoon, whatever. Get some sleep, everybody. What? I'm going to say nighty nights, do. Nighty night. Nighty night. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's just me. Bliss has just signed off. And I realized that she invited me to come up to visit her in July when she's not going to be there. (laughs) So I don't think she meant to do that, but, or maybe she did. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 